Well, I'm going to talk tonight about uh, Nibbana. And I named the talk a few different names. The name I think that went out is Nibbana, Sacred Transition Now and Ongoing. Uh, and also, I also was named it uh, Nirvana and Nibbana, Nirvana being the Sanskrit, Nibbana being the Pali. Nirvana and Nibbana, magic and mystery, uh, the magic and mystery of dharmic transmission. Magic and mystery of dharmic transmission. And that's a more poetic title than the first one. I like it better. And partly the reason why I wanted to talk about this is I was just on a retreat, a teacher retreat at Spirit Rock with um, uh, many of my colleagues, but it was led by Anam Tugden. And Anam Tugden here, I'm going to try to show a picture of him. Here, you can see the picture of him. He's a Tibetan teacher, and um, and um, I'd never met him before, and I thought, okay, let's see, let's see what he has to teach and who he is, and I really, really liked him a lot. I recommend him highly. Good guy, smart, deep. He's been around, and he's uh, the real thing in my my language, and so and he's. Um, he was born in Tibet, and as a young man, started training in the Nyingmapa tradition. And he's the founder, he's got his own center, the Dharmata Center, uh, here in, in the Bay Area, in Richmond. And he teaches around the United States, and he's written a lot of books, including books like Choosing Compassion or um, No Self, No Problem. He also has a book, I don't know, I haven't seen it, Into the Haunted Ground, not sure what that is. And then he's got one uh, called The Magic of Awareness. And, um, and that's the one that I know uh, and that I like. And so I thought I would read you the opening poem from The Magic of Awareness. He likes poetry a lot, so I like that about him. And he was pretty sophisticated about poetry. He says, wonder, wonder, who has the magic to make the sun appear every morning? Wonder, who has the magic to make the sun appear every morning? Who makes the bird on the elegant bird, on the elegant tree chirp? Breath, pulse, music, dew, sunset. The burning am ambers of the fall. There is an unfathomable joy in all that life is a stream. Breath, pulse, music, dew, sunset. The burning ambers of the fall. There is an unfathomable joy in all that. Life is a stream, it flows on its own. No one knows why we are here. Stop trying to figure out the great mystery. The tea in front of you is getting cold. Drink it, every, enjoy every drop of it, and dance. Dance until there is no more dancer. It is the dance without the dancer 
this is how great mystics dance. And so I hope you can hear already, he's very interesting Buddhist teacher and very, uh, a little bit out of the box and a little bit and fully in the box at the same time. And I love that kind of simultaneity of, of uh, awareness that is both traditional and not bound by the limits of the tradition at all. And so he did a lot of teaching at Spirit Rock for us um, on the magic of awareness. And we talked about it in a lot of different ways. And we, we talked about it, about the magic of life itself, the magic of being alive. And, and that's right here for all of us that we forget all the time, but we won't. There is going to be some point where we can't even remember that we are alive because we won't be alive. But now we are alive and we can taste or sense or be aware of the magic of consciousness being alive right here. The consciousness that's sitting, thinking, feeling, having sensations. And it's right here, knowing whatever is happening. And so it's part of the magic of life. And a part of the magic of life at the retreat was, it was the first teacher retreat since COVID. Like we haven't been all together live and we weren't all together live actually. It was a hybrid. So a number of teachers were on Zoom. Uh, but really the, for me, the great blessing was to be there live with a number of friends, colleagues, you know, um, Jack Cornfield, Victoria Carey, James Beres, uh, uh, just a, a, a Tuere Sama, a number of people who I am friends with and teach with and, uh, and learn from also. And so we had this teacher retreat, the first, the magic of being alive still after the the wildness of COVID, right? Do you all remember before COVID? Remember we used to have a life before COVID? That's like, I can't remember, three and a half, four years ago now. And also we talked a lot, uh, Anam Tupton talked a lot about the magic of love and awareness and the real love of uh, Sangha and the love of the Dharma and the love that he says is inherent in Buddha nature. And that is there when we're, we were practicing together as Sangha, as friends, as colleagues, uh, you know, and the love that was there for ourselves and for practice and for practicing together and the goodness of that. And he also talked about the magic and mystery of being, of consciousness itself. This unstatic aliveness that is not limited to our body. And so we talked a lot about being totally human and not bound by our human form being totally human, but not limited to our idea of what it is to be human, but to start to taste the simultaneity of reality that is sitting in each seat right here. The, the amazing uh, 
manifestation of reality that is alive as human consciousness that is not limited to the body. And I'm going to read something else from The Magic of Awareness. He's got a chapter, I love this chapter's title, the chapter is called Relaxing the Mind, <laughs> which is like, that's half the battle, relax the mind. And then he begins, he says, you are consciousness. You are consciousness. You, talking to each of you, you are consciousness. And then he continues, he says, you are consciousness and so am I. Consciousness is said to be groundless because it has no size, no color, shape, or location. Some people think that consciousness is living in us. However, such a view is very limited in scope since this consciousness is all pervading. Some people think consciousness is living in us. However, such a view is very limited in scope since this consciousness is all pervading. We live in it. We live in it. We are it. It enjoys eternal play. Now and then consciousness forgets that its play is its own manifestation and it gets lost in believing that it is separate from itself. I'll say that again. We enjoy eternal play. Now and then consciousness forgets that its play is its own manifestation and gets lost in believing that it is separate from itself. That forgetfulness is a fundamental delusion that gives birth to all troubles, problems, and struggles in unending chain reactions. Since consciousness itself since consciousness itself is not separate from enlightenment, consciousness being aware of itself can happen suddenly and break the chain created by our forgetfulness. So I hope you hear how simple and direct and deep the teachings are that he offers. Right, that you and I are both consciousness and it's right here. And we forget that of who and what we are. Well, we may not really have tasted yet the depth or the breadth or the or the emptiness or the unboundedness of who and what we are. And it was lovely to be with him because he's very deep and very humble and very simple and very grounded and very real. He, he liked to talk about waking up is not separate from all the me messiness of life. I love that part. It's not separate from the messiness of life. Anybody here know about the messiness of life, right? Is that not part of the deal? But And he had this lovely presence that was kind of embodied a certain transcendence, even though he was grounded in the world. And he said some interesting thing. He says, humans are born with spiritual impulses. And that that's natural in his understanding. That's normal. 
and he said we can uh, we can celebrate an unreified nirvana. He would often use nirvana or nirvana, both words. Again, nirvana being the Sanskrit and nirvana being the Pali. He said for him, nirvana is a personal experience. It's a real experience. It's not an idea, it's somewhere else. He said it can happen right now. There can be an immediate spontaneous arising. And of course, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who was a great uh, Theravadan teacher, he wrote a book called Nibbana for Everyone. It, not a book, it's a little pamphlet, really. And it's, and it's about Nibbana for Everyone. And it's about his understanding of what Nibbana means, which is the cooling or the lessening or the release of greed, hatred, and illusion and delusion. And he said, and he said, if we didn't have some nibbana every day, we'd go crazy. That there's really he's and he's very simple, very clear, very direct about it, about what nibbana means, especially in the Thai forest tradition, because it means a cooling or relaxing or an easefulness. And he said, if we didn't have some of that every day, if we didn't have some letting go of our desire or some letting go of our anger. Or our, or our reactivity, or some letting go of our confusion, we'd go crazy. But it actually happens every day. And so he talked about a small nibbana, the daily nibbana, which he called nibbana for everyone. And from the Dzogchen point of view, which on a about Dzogchen being part of the Tibetan tradition, um, uh, nibbana is about, nirvana is about the liberated state of being with the letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion, which is really the same, especially as, uh, as uh, uh, Thai forest monks. And there's beautiful words that are used for that in the, in the um, Tibetan, they talk about awakened awareness, that the Buddha identifies awakened awareness as signless, boundless, all luminous, un unbounded in any way. And it's, they're very simple accounts of that kind of awakened awareness in the Thai forest tradition and in, in uh, the Tibetan teachings of Dzogchen and Mahamudra. And so he, what, what is done in Dzogchen and Mahamudra also is pointing to your true nature, pointing to the reality or depth or, or source of what we are, of what each of us is. And they talk about it as the luminous nature of mind, or they talk about it as the ground of being is right here. That's the nature of mind, it's the ground of being. And the ground of being is not a thing, and it's not a mental construct. And they say, I love this, it's very paradoxical. They say, the ground of being is not existent, but it is not non-existent. It is not existent, but it is not non-existent. And that kind of paradox I relate to that very strongly. And he related to those kind of the weaving together of duality into unity. And so you're aware of the dual and you're aware of the 
of the non-dual at the same time. They're both true. And, and one of the teachers he talked about, and he talked about relating to a lot of different teachers, some of whom were alive and some of whom were not alive. Meaning sometimes some of the teachers he related to have been dead for three or 400 years, but when he studied their texts, he, that, he formed a relationship with them. And it was really beautiful. So one of the people he talked about was Longchenpa, who was a few centuries ago, Longchenpa, who I went to his cave in Bhutan when I was there. And he and I always had this great quote of his that I'll read. It's called, awareness is always refreshing itself. Awareness is always refreshing itself, always newly arriving. You can neither obtain this awareness nor lose it. Again, there's a paradox, right, of you can obtain or lose, but neither. You can neither obtain nor lose it. He says, Longchenpa says, I salute the spontaneously perfect universal creativity, self-refreshing awareness. Universal creativity as the teacher, a direct teaching that you do not need to strive for. I invoke, I invoke the turning of the wheel of the natural great perfection of spontaneous presence. And it's part of what's possible for us in any moment. In these small moments of nirvana, we can really be here. We can be alive. We can be aware. We can be awake. There can be a sense of this spontaneous presence, not a presence we're manufacturing, but a presence that arises organically on its own. So Anam Tubton also said one of the most direct ways to liberation for him was through devotion. And, and when we talk about, you know, big nirvana or small nirvana, devotion was part of it. Uh, and he talked about there was certain kind of purification that happens with um, meditation, which is internal. And then there's an external purification, with, which is service or helping others or giving of oneself in one's community or one's sangha or in one's family. And, and starting to recognize the devotion we have to what we're giving to. And that, and he, when he talked about this, he talked a lot about faith, and he clearly had a tremendous amount of faith, a faith that, at least in my opinion, Americans aren't used to. It's almost culturally uh, um, um, I'm looking for the right word. It's it's culturally um, not known in a lot of the Western traditions. Let's put it that way about a real faith. And he talked about faith being more than a belief, that it was an impulse or a desire, or, or what he called a sacred desire for transcendence, right? Having a sacred desire to wake up. And he also said it was an innate desire, right? 
that that there was an unconditioned or an unborn desire that he talked about as Buddha DNA. And that if you're here, if you're in the Dharma, if you keep coming, you already have it. You already have some Buddha DNA. And that that impulse, that faith is, a, is innate Rigpa. And Rigpa is a Tibetan word, which means intelligence or awareness or the innermost nature of mind and manifest as spontaneous presence, spontaneous presence. And so that kind of desire for awakening, desire for freedom, desire for the truth, the desire for love, the desire for everybody to be free of suffering, those desires are part of what he called the innate rigpa or the innermost nature of heart and mind. And so devotion comes with faith, a certain kind of devotion. And I looked up the word devotion comes from the Latin and uh, D means to formally and the vovere means to vow, to formally vow, to formally give oneself or devote oneself to what one cares about and what one loves. And of course, there are many ways to be devoted, many kinds and flavors of devotion. And, uh, and on a, to, to, um, he talked about his own. He was very personal also, which I think is so helpful for any teacher. And he talked about uh, being devoted to his grandparents when he was a boy. And he was devoted to the joyous practicing as a monk. And he said he was devoted to bowing to the Buddha. He, that was one of his devotion, a very sublime devotion. And that devotion is good. And he thought it was really good because wherever we are, whatever we're devoted to, it's something that we can develop. And again, he comes from a very different culture, but I love the idea that we can really, uh, we can really deepen, develop, mature our devotion. And his idea was, if you take on being devoted to Green Tara, who's one of the manifestations of Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of compassion, or Avalokiteshvara, which is the word he used mostly for Kuan Yin. Um, he said, if, if you devote yourself, you'll see that they live inside of you, right? Because that's his experience because he, of how he's devoted himself to those teachers of his. And so he asked a great question to all of us. He says, what are you devoted to? You know, or who are you devoted to? And what, what principles or teachings or teachers are you devoted to? And I really thought about it a while. I thought, one of the people I've been devoted to my whole life is my daughter. And I believe a lot of parents are really devoted to their children, that it's a devotion that's inherent even. It's just, you know, for not for everybody. I know some parents that may not be true, but for, for people who have a heart and a mind that's open at all, it's just, you just love your children. You want the best for them. And yet you're devoted to them. 
And I know in my own practice, I've really been devoted to the truth or to what I call reality, to, to the bigger truth of what's here. And of course, I've been devoted to um, uh, taking care of my body also. I think that's a really good thing to do. And, and so I do that. I've done athletics my whole life as a way to take care of my body. And I'm also devoted to goodness, which I can't even explain what that means. But for me, it's so simple. I'm, I feel like really the way to say it is I'm devoted to the good. And Dharma is good. And the, the diamond approach, which I teach, is good. And athletics are good. And music is good. Creativity is good. There's a lot of good in my consciousness that way. And I'm devoted to it. And, you know, and for those of you who know me, know me, you know, I'm devoted um, to the Warriors. And, you know, I hope they have a good season this year. We'll see what happens. And right now, I'm definitely a little bit devoted, devoted to the 49ers. So, and, and, but it's really part of being devoted to athletics my whole life. And, and the, both the fun and the beauty of people who give themselves to one thing whether it's the Dharma or whether it's playing basketball. And he had a great poem. He said, he, I don't have the whole poem. He, I couldn't write fast enough. Um, but he talked about being devoted to Dharma Datu, which is the name of his center. And he said, there's a poem that dedicated to Dharma Datu that begins, you are the unborn beyond words. I pay homage to the great mother, right? Which is the ground of all being, right? The ground of all being is not a thing. And consciousness, he said, is not separate from this ground. Consciousness is not separate from this ground. In that way, he talked about nirvana or nibbana is already here, that the luminous nature of mind is within us. And it takes recognizing or discovering or practicing with or realizing it. And he said, he said, Dzogchen, like Buddha Dasa, said we can glimpse nibbana all the time. We could have everyday nibbana, everyday nirvana. And it's just glimpsing the original primordial heart and mind. And he said one other thing he talked about that was really beautiful was love. He included love in all his teachings. And he talked about the dharmic love, the great dharmic love of the four divine abodes, or what's also called the four immeasurables, which you all know are metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, which is loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And he said how that love holds the sacredness and holiness of all beings. The sacredness of holiness of all beings. And even beings we don't like, that love holds the sacredness and holiness of all beings. And, and then he said, beings we may or may not like because it includes the messiness of life. And life, he, he agreed, was messy. And the last piece I want to say is about stream entry, which is what, what Nibbana is described the first stage of nibbana is called stream entry. 
in the Theravada tradition. And it means crossing the stream, crossing the stream to freedom. And it's a transition, we, we go across, which is what transition means. Transition from the Latin means to go across or to change or go to the unknown, right? Which is what it means to go to Nibbana, to go across. And, um, and I'm mentioning it because it's part of the Theravadan understanding of Nibbana, and it's a beautiful part of the teaching, this first stage of enlightenment, which is called stream entry. But also it's because we're always crossing, we're always moving, we're always transitioning to what's next, or the new, or the freshness, or the liveness, of what's happening and we're always crossing into the unknown and so one of the things i thought i would just mention here which i'll be mentioning for the next number of months because it won't happen formally until january which is uh, a transition that sfi is making and it's a we've been i've been here 30 years and it's been great and it's also time for a transition and so we're going to have a different form of teaching we're both formalizing and stabilizing uh, what's been happening over the last year but hasn't been um, so clear and we want it to be very clear and very structured so it supports the sangha and what that means is instead of me being the only teacher here i'll be a senior teacher here, but uh, but I'm going to be part of a team, a teaching council, that will. Uh, so there'll be four of us, and all of us have been teaching here over the last year. So it'll be myself, and Pamela Weiss, and Victoria Victoria Carey, and Cyrus Smith, and the and what that means is each of us will teach basically one time a month. So that'll be the new structure for SFI. And what'll happen is nobody will be, there'll still be changes. So there'll be, sometimes somebody will be on retreat. I know Victoria is doing at least three months of practice next year. So during those three months, you know, um, Syra or Pam or I will all, will teach twice some of those months, or we'll have a few guest teachers who we enjoy having. Like next week, we're having uh, Bob Stahl, who's the head and founder of uh, Santa Cruz Insight, <coughs> who's a great teacher. And if you can go see him, see him. He is a really good guy and deep, and he knows a lot about the 32 parts of the body. It's his, it's one of his calling cards. Anyhow, so, um, so there'll be a change happening and we'll be crossing into the unknown together with the new, uh, the new teaching uh, council, teachers council. And, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll keep waking up together as reality unfolds. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.